Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Welcome from the Talks and Tasting Studios. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. So, uh, how all, all of you doing? Doing good? Living the dream. All right. All right, you must not be watching the news. I try to stay away from it as much as possible. Um, so we have a, a great show for you. We uh, have, uh, I hope, some timely... I'm going to do a half a top ten list today. We've got more of... Uh, Berg is really excited about his garlic. Like always. Yeah, and uh, for his Pastor Peace Cedar. Uh, Hannah's got some important things for us to take care of that we'll do in just a minute. And uh, Vicar, you got anything for us today? No, I'm I'm here for the drink. All right. All right. And speaking of the drink, I brought the drink this time, and it is called Absinthe. Yeah. So, yeah. We're even doing the whole ritual and everything. So, Vicar, if the people don't know about Absinthe, will you please read what Absinthe is and uh, why, it's, why, this, why it's going to just improve the show? Nearly 100 years after its ban... Clerical heirs can now enjoy one of history's most notorious liquors in all its 19th century glory. Today, the signature drink of Van Gogh, Oscar Wilde, and Toulouse-Lautrec can be enjoyed as it was in the 1900s. Mm. Am I going to go blind? Absinthe. Uh, You'll just have hallucinations. Okay. The first legal absinthe recipe in the U.S. market since 1912 is still handcrafted in the south of France using only the highest quality uh, artisanal distillation methods. Oof. You can tell I don't really. But yeah, okay. And ingredients, including, oh, boy, uh, anise. Anise, yep. Star anise, balm, peppermint, and a full measure of the legendary and notorious botanical wormwood, also mm. known as Artemisia absinthium. Experience absente, absinthe refined and recalled the glitz and glamour of La Belle Epoque, Paris. Now, now, wasn't this originally made by monks? Am I confusing this? I I think it was. Um, it was really popular in the 19th century um, when, uh, you know, guys like Van Gogh and Oscar Wilde were around. So, you know, it was called, its other nickname is the Green Fairy. Hmm. And, uh, you know, um, so. And there is a ritual. The ritual includes pouring two ounces of absinthe into a glass and top with the absinthe spoon. Well, it's got a special spoon. A- absinthe. 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 And sugar cube. So, uh, I have mixed up the drinks for Vicar and Bullhagen. So here we go with the ritual for mine. Let's see if you can hear. Okay. So, so what? Absinthe. So I'll provide the commentary. So, up to this point. Wait, 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 wait. What's in your cup right now? Right now, I just have the absinthe, mm-hmm. and I have uh, the ice cubes, and I have the sugar on top of the special spoon, and I'm about ready to, uh, you know. Oh, we do have a camera. Nice. Here, let me move it over this way. Do you want me to record, or should I just use it to watch you? <laughs> so You can record it, I think. It could be for our, our uh, premium members. Right. This is for all you paying members, so... So here we look at that pour go. Now usually 
if the glass was a little bit bigger, I could pour it longer. But this is not a small amount of absinthe you've got there. <laughs> well, this is why I gave Vicar the other glass because uh, you know. <laughs> yep. So then that way I could, uh, you know, take one for the team. So, all right, your guys' health. You know, hopefully right. we don't have any hallucinate, you know, hallucinations. So, well, we just got got through with Pentecost, right? That's good. Yeah, if you like black licorice, this is the drink for you. It. it <laughs> To me, it sounds like it tastes like like a um, a refined. Um, oh, what's the the German one that the it's supposed to be deer blood? Yeah, Jägermeister. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Prost, as the Germans would say. Oh, meanwhile, I'm over here drinking my low carb Monster Energy. <laughs> so we're healthy all the way around, right? There we right. go. Right. <laughs> So, I, yeah, I actually like it, by the way. Good. It's very good. You can uh, introduce all your seminary friends to it, and oh boy. then I'll be called a corrupter of the youth. Well, especially with the, it has a picture of Van Gogh on it, and it makes him kind of look like he's a hipster. <laughs> it's true. This is something that hipsters would drink. So, I mean, right. we're just right in with the zeitgeist. All right, uh, there you go. Well, thank you. I, this is enjoyable. I can't say that I've really done this before. So I try to keep it classy. Is, it, is this your first bottle of this before? Uh, no. I first drank it uh, for a cousin's wedding. And, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So um, my wife found this down in Ames at Cyclone Liquors. So, Peter, have you ever been there? <laughs> That's where I got your uh, your birthday gift. Oh. Huh. By the way, uh, I did a little more research on the, the bourbon that uh, Yeah, you sent that son. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And they basically stick it on a ship and then send it around the world. Right. Which pretty is cool. awesome. Pretty cool. And that's that was, they, they talk about why, because you guys were talking about how you liked it a little more than most bourbons, and it was because of the constant frothing of the alcohol. It produces more sugars or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the movement. Right. It crosses the uh, equator like five times, the mm-hmm. ship does. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So, guys, uh, if uh, you want to share what you're drinking, uh, Vicar, where can they reach us? Well, they can contact us on our Facebook page. They can find us on Twitter at, at Clerical Errors P for podcast. They can find us on the World Wide Web at clericalerrors.org. And, um, yeah, I mean, they can find us on Patreon, too, That's and true. support us that way. And uh, is this video going to be on Patreon? Sure, we can do that. All right. Um, and uh, I want to I wanna give a big... Oh, uh, yeah. Are we going to do your shirt, too? Oh, yeah. So that way we can yeah. you know, add something extra for the uh, viewers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you going to move the webcam, Peter? You want to see it? What you got? So oh. there is now. Oh. Yeah. So there is now, like, merch. Right. <laughs> there exists a Clerical Errors shirt. Does it look, like, good? That blown up? Oh, nice. Yeah. I like it on the back, too. Oh, that's it's just the business card but blown way up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we should really get one with all of the bylines at the end of every show. Right. You know. <laughs> so yeah, if, a, if people are interested in, in one of these, uh let us know. We can find a way to do that, can't we, Pete? You know, maybe it's through Patreon or something if they wanna for 
someone who yeah i'll i'll look into it in earnest hopefully next week we have more uh, it sounds like patreon is doing some weird stuff though is it yeah so we'll we'll definitely be looking into it and uh hopefully we can find it so it because it sounds like they're charging more from what i've understood from some of the other podcasts i've been listening oh okay so so uh what do you they're like they're adding tax or something right i think so yeah okay but so it won't uh, be that much more. So what are you uh, guys preaching on? Oh well, what is the text, Vicar? The text is the rich man and Lazarus from Luke sixteen. Okay. Yeah. So this is uh, we'll call it a parable. Um, whether it's a, it's not exactly uh, what we see in a traditional pl- parable talking about the kingdom of God is like, or um, anything like that. But Jesus tells a story of two men, a rich man who's not named and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And he speaks of their life here on earth, their death, and then their subsequent conversation, uh, well, between Abraham, who's in the presence of Lazarus, and the rich man who's in Hades, in hell. And, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting text, to say the least. And I'm preaching on it. Um, and I'm talking about uh, the proper use of wealth. Um, we see the rich man uh, turns wealth into an idol in his life on earth. Uh, and this this was directed towards the Pharisees who were the lover lovers of money that we learned earlier in chapter 16. Uh, but I also talk about how, you know, we see ourselves both in the rich man and in Lazarus, I would argue, um, in their life on earth. Uh, we see ourselves probably a little bit more like the rich man uh, here in America, the way that we live. Um, but according to uh, our faith and according to who we are spiritually, uh, spiritually dead sinners, we are more like Lazarus, crying out to mercy. And unlike the rich man, God hears us as a true father. And so I'm not really getting into the conversation. I think that that's another sermon in itself um, between Lazarus and uh or between Abraham and the rich man. So, I don't know. What's your what's your angle? Are you thinking this this time around on this text? Well, I just read um, Oedipus Tyrannus by Sophocles. You too? Wow. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Oedipus Tyrannus is a play, a tragic play about Oedipus of Thebes. He's the guy who. Um, um, well, he's most known, you know, for the Oedipus complex, right? That um, he unknowingly kills his father and marries his mother, uh, but he, in this, at the same time, he saves Thebes from the riddling Sphinx, right? That's how he became. That's how he came to power, right? Um, and at the beginning of this play, um, Oedipus thinks of himself as the savior. He thinks himself rich. He thinks himself blessed by the gods with wisdom and intelligence, with a good supportive wife and two wonderful sons and two wonderful daughters. And at the end of it, because of the word of a god, he finds out that he is actually the bane of his city, that he has to be cast out, that he is accursed, that he uh, is the murderer of his father and, the, and you know, the, uh, the husband of his own mother, that his children... Uh, are now cursed because mm-hmm. of their birth. Um, we get something similar in this text, 
Because like you said, we want to be the rich man. I mean, we work hard. We want to have money. We want to have retirement. We want things to go well. And in fact, when things are going well, that's when we say, oh, we're so blessed. Hmm. Right? Right. We're so blessed. Because in fact, we we we're so blessed. We even had a hashtag to that sometimes. <laughs> yes, I was going to bring that up. You know, um, and you know, and that's the thing is that we find out though by this word of God, who kind of pulls the cover back and reveals to us what the real situation is. Even though none of us want to be Lazarus, because I mean, the dude's situation is. Hmm. I mean, it's terrible, right? Right. I mean, he is... His physical life matches who we really are according to our sinful nature. Right. But, you know, even so, you know, no one would ever want to t- trade places with him. But it's Lazarus who's rich. Right. Because he believes in God. He he believes in the word of God. He listened to Moses and the prophets. And, and I, that is why he is at Abraham's side. And, and behind the collar, uh, I think every pastor has been humbled by a Lazarus. Mm-hmm. In their life, who, who, uh, none of no one would want to trade lives with them, and yet we're humbled by their faith. Right, and you know they keep getting blow after blow after blow, and this is, I mean, it is like everyone should really stop and take notice of this because Jesus doesn't say that the wealthy are blessed. Jesus says that the poor are blessed. Jesus doesn't say that the happy are blessed. He says that th- those who mourn are blessed. And in fact. Uh, it, and we see this also when, whenever it seems like someone wants to come to Jesus to ask him a question to justify themselves, it's usually a rich young ruler, you know, someone, someone who is not only, I don't know, it, it, they're trying to justify themselves, but for some reason it talks about their wealth right? as well. And so that's where it's what we think of as being blessed, what we think of as being rich um, is actually a horrible delusion and illusion. And that's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need Moses and the prophets to reveal this to us. And, and that's an interesting discussion to have right now mm-hmm. as as people are arguing. Well, and that's what it, you know, they're arguing about, um, you know, with, we talked about it last time with the race stuff. Mm-hmm. We talked about it with COVID, right? And I just think to myself, Jesus says, you never hear this quoted. You know, he who desires to save his life will lose it. Mm. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, I see a lot of people trying to save their earthly lives at the expense of their heavenly lives. And I think this text is, it, it should humble us. And hopefully it will show us where true riches actually lie. In the word of God. Because that's what going what's going on is everyone is trying to humble everyone else without <laughs> actually themselves being humbled. And when right. they do, it's a false humility. Exactly. It's and, it's you know, a politician putting on their African garb and kneeling. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And you know, and that's the thing, like and even the rich man, like, he wasn't so bold to even do that. his was just a neglect, right? Right. His was just a lack of action. But it shows that omission is just as bad as commission too, right? So, so uh, 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 we also have uh, uh, some a couple of things we need to deal with from our associate producer. Um, which one would you like to do first? Well, one we gave her a couple of assignments. Obviously, the running assignment is the surreal meme, 
where she has to explain uh, each meme uh, according to the time. So because most memes, I've been informed by our producer, is something that where uh, the jokes kind of become so inside with the picture that it constantly changes the picture. And I thought, well, we've got a, a very bright associate producer, and so the interpretation of the very same picture will change. Mm-hmm. So it'll become like an inside language, right? Very Wittgensteinian, <laughs> right? So we have a surreal meme, and then we also have uh, we gave her the assignment of because we don't know, didn't know what to do with a theology booster ad, and so we asked her, um, we asked for an outside opinion of it, and so she has provided that for us. So, Peter, which one do you want to do first? The surreal meme? Let's start with the surreal meme. All right. Uh, this one, as she'll explain, we had a, a bit of a timing mishap. She'll she'll talk to us about that. But, but yeah, I, I tell you what, that uh, Wormwood is awesome. This is Hannah Jastrom Auberg, associate producer, with the third explanation of Peter's surreal meme of March 29th, 2020. I planned for this analysis to air on Trinity Sunday... But, as previously discussed, the big boss only talks to me, a lowly associate producer, through recorded episodes. And far be it from any member of the team to let me know ahead of time when they're recording. And so, our audio ships passed in the night. But, as Peter pointed out, the show is called Clerical Errors, so I might as well get on with the comedic content. This time, the analysis is pretty straightforward. To refresh the listener's memory, the meme features three characters, Pastors Bolhagen and Berg, and Meme Man. Pretty convenient for Trinity Sunday. Bolhagen is saying, oh no, Berg says everything is okay, and Meme Man says, preach, brother. Now, this is confirmation level easy. Pastor Bolhagen, or Uncle Carl, represents God, his cry of, oh no, mimicking that of our Heavenly Fathers when he learns of how Adam and Eve have fallen. Pastor Berg, the star of Pastorpiece Theater, and the only one on the podcast who thinks before he speaks, represents Jesus Christ, the Mediator, the Logos, the Word. Through Christ's sacrifice, everything was made okay again. The mysterious and inscrutable Meme Man represents the Holy Spirit, unseen but pervasive all the same. And it is he that inspired the disciples in Acts to preach as they have never preached before. And what of the tennis ball? Well, have you ever spent some time tracing the white line on a tennis ball with one finger or two, rotating the ball around and around and around? No? Just just me? Okay, well, try it out sometime, and you'll find yourself sinking into the mystery of eternal curvilinearity, just as the rhythm of the Athanasian's Creed lulls us into a deep contemplation of the Holy Trinity. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, A couple things. First of all, I'm hurt. (laughs) Or... Maybe it's the truth that hurts me. I try and think sometimes before I speak. <laughs> wow. What do, you, what do you think, Berg? Oh, I, I think it was pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> she. She's uh, she's still, still uh, cranking these out. That's that was a good one. Very impressive. Yeah. 
And then uh, we also um, have and an, an, a wonderful explanation of the Trinity. We do. Yeah. So um, now we have, uh, we asked her to um, critique our th- uh, theology booster ad. So here is her, this is her critique of our uh, theology booster ad. Go ahead. This is Hannah Jastrom Auberg, associate producer again, to discuss the theology booster ad. Now, my first quibble with this ad is that there is no ad copy. How am I supposed to properly analyze something when I don't have a written script for it? And I'm a busy stay-at-home mom. I don't have time to transcribe these things. The second problem is assigning me, a woman who does not work out, to analyze this ad, which is clearly directed toward males who do work out. But since I am a resourceful associate producer, I did a little market research. One man I asked gave the production value high marks, but guess what? You lost him at the five second mark with the phrase man up. All right, now let me push my glasses up my nose and launch into lecture mode. The phrase man up originated in the 1980s in the context of football, migrated soon to the military, and soon was everywhere in popular culture. According to an article from The Art of Manliness, Man Up is used, quote, often by women or feminist organizations seeking to tap into the traditional mechanics of honor and shame in an attempt to motivate men to adopt certain behaviors, end quote. The phrase is also used, quote, as a chastisement for those who run afoul of the superficial violations of the bro code, end quote. Brett McKay, host of the Art of Manliness podcast, concludes, Man up has become so cliche and meaningless, I've stopped using it myself and an art of manliness altogether. But that market research responder was the only one out of three who commented on that phrase. Another respondent said, The script of the ad was good, but the tone was overly macho, and the guitar and drums at the end was a bit cheesy. Personally, I'll second that. He concluded, If I were to hear this ad, I wouldn't be turned off, but I likely wouldn't search for the website. And the third respondent said, I listened to it and then Googled Clerical Errors podcast because it sounded like a cool ad. Yeah. So there you are. No consensus from your target market. Now, knowing your show the way I do, the third obvious flaw with this ad is that it's a bait and switch. Yeah, you guys talk theology, or at least Berg does, and in an especially applicable way in Campfire Catechesis, but the shtick of the show is to get a look behind the collar. As a pastor's kid, that's the top reason I listen. What has my dad been up to all these years? So keep trying, Pastor Bullhagen. Maybe eventually something will gain the approval of both your wife and your associate producer. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Well, if I might say something here, if I if I could, that is, um, uh, you need some more manly friends. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad Hannah's finally getting back at you. <sighs> yeah, she's roasting you alive today, and I love it. Okay, Hannah. Boy, you might need some aloe vera for that bird. <laughs> well, you know what. I want to show that I can learn, okay? So so what I have done is I, I tried to listen to what Hannah had to say, mm-hmm. and so I tried to improve it, and here's what I put together. People. 
Why is it that people know less of what's behind the collar than their people and grand people? It's time to person up America with the Clerical Heirs Podcast. With this all-natural knowledge booster, you will feel more confident sitting next to the pastor at a potluck or a wedding rehearsal. So what are you waiting for? Go to clericalheirs.org and person People will like the podcast, too. So, <laughs> so Hannah, thank you. I, I'm not sure if it made it better. Um, you can let us know. Um, hopefully it's not overly masculine now. It appeals to all people. <laughs> so Very inclusive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you guys think? Is it is it an improvement? Um, in person, people like the podcast too. <laughs> I tried. So Hannah, it, if, you know, it, yeah, it was. It so was, maybe Hannah, if you know any people, you can test market it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and I must say, okay, um, maybe that's maybe it's my fault, but if people are taking our ad as though it's supposed to be serious, and we really mean. Bad up, I, maybe, you know what I mean. I don't know. It was kind of a parody. Hey, I liked how maybe she how she worked the in the Art of Manliness podcast. Yeah, that's one of your favorites. Yeah, that's isn't one it? of my favorites. Yeah. So, so all right. So, um, hopefully, I fixed it, and uh, we'll, we'll get this fixed up, uh, Hannah, uh, before we send it out to Oklahoma. And by the way, I want to say I want to say something. I know we're uh, Peter's uh, always showing the watch on us so that we don't run over time today, but but. Uh, 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 on the opposite end of Oklahoma is Florida. We've been getting a lot of listeners from Florida lately. In fact, Florida has overtaken Iowa. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, boy, we might have to start doing some, you know, advertising in our in our own state. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, that brings us to our top twelve list. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time. Four, Bullhagen's top twelve. So, um, I thought uh, um, it's it's a good time to listen to wisdom, don't you think? I hear you clucking, big chicken. It, it's it's a good time to uh, uh, listen to wisdom. And uh, with that being said, um, uh, who is one of the wiser people in the scriptures that we've heard to as wise? Solomon. Yeah, I was gonna say Nabal. Oh, okay. wait. Oh, wait. That's the opposite. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is pretty wise. Yeah, he's, he's he knows what he's talking about. But but the reason why is is uh, um, is, is uh, it's a good time for everyone just to sit down and listen to a little wisdom right now. Yep. You know, um, you know, if you spend any time on Facebook, it, it's maddening. You know, I know a pastor who, who posted a little devotion um and uh, he just got maligned for uh, preaching the word of God, saying he was insensitive and all those things. And so, and so, I just thought maybe a little wisdom. And to do this is what I've done is is there is this uh, commentary. Yes, there is. Um, it's from the Concordia Commentary series of Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. and uh, the author I I know. So if he if, did, did he sign it for you? Um, he he yes he might have. 
Um, oh, I wish I could have got a signed copy. And so, um, I have a few selections, commentary on sections on a verse. So, well, I'll, I'll uh, reference a verse if, if Vicar, if you want to look up those verses for us. Okay, uh, if I if I walk out on you, don't take it personally. Okay, all right. Um, and then uh, I have, and we're just going to do the first part, the first six. Okay. All right. And then I have a, a, a section from the Concordia commentary written by Doctor James Bullhagen, and if he's worried about. Uh, if this somehow he gets back to him that I'm reading from his commentary, um, you know, and he wants to sue or something at me, bro. Yeah. Find me. Hey, guys, uh, go out and buy the commentary. So then you'll have it on your shelves and you'll have this wisdom forever. That's right. Then you can read Then you can read along with us. It's the truth. That's truly the best experience, right, to read along with us. So everybody has to go buy, pause the podcast right now. Go to your local CPH bookstore. I don't know that those exist. And buy Ecclesiastes. Don't buy the book titled Man Up (laughs) (laughs) that they released last year. Or buy it because it is a good book. Number 12. Um, uh, The first is is, uh, part of a commentary from uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10. All right. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. So so um, he says about this, No, nothing in this world is really new. And the sooner we believe Solomon's words, the better off we will be. The craving for new advances often leads to uh, royalty. The advances in education materials make for bigger publishers' profits as the nation hastily retreats toward the old plague of illiteracy. Newness is a mirage. A false sense of newness leads to a false sense of progress and further on to a false sense of hope. But Solomon dashes all false hopes to pieces. The human race is stuck right where it is and where it always has been ever since the fall. Forget the flights of fancy. You are grounded under the sun. There will be no utopia on this earth. Contrary to politicians, your children will not be better off than you. Even the flower children of a couple generations ago who grew up with material saturation saw that much. There will be no earthly millennium, whether pre- or post-tribulation. The thirst for newness in this world will always go unsatisfied. For all their drudgery, at least the elements, are content to make their rounds, but mankind will never be content. The fact that nothing new is ever new can be tremendously instructive and helpful for our biblical interpretation. The word Solomon has described is our world. The problems faced then are the problems we face now. And sin is sin. Nothing in this world is more predictable than the slavery of human sin. As sinners in a sinful world, all of us continue to violate each of the Ten Commandments, which were equally unchanging. But the son of David, the eternal king of Israel, who was the savior of Solomon, the son of David and Israel's king, also remains our savior. For he faced the very same pains of sickness and sickness that all people throughout history have faced, the ones he himself describes so vividly in Ecclesiastes. He took our sin and endured the same death so that we could have his righteousness and his same resurrection life. So nothing that is awesome new. All right, so so you should re- rewind that and just listen to that again, listener. So, 
Yes, I, that's why I, being my fa- my father's commentary, you know, it, it kind of takes on a little special because not only do I have the wisdom of Solomon, but uh, Peter, the producer, has the wisdom of his grandfather Yeah, as well. That's awesome. And, uh, I'm disappointed that you didn't do a uh, Dr. James Bullhagen impression when you were reading that. Well, I, I want... I want th- I want to have listeners. Oh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, we just topped out in well, Florida. So. And I'm, I must say, you know, having having a father as smart as my father, one thing that has really helped along the way is to to realize that I am basically a younger, more handsome version of him. So. <laughs> So you're like Song of Songs, Solomon, and he's Ecclesiastes, Solomon. I don't know. I've heard it skips generations. Oh. (laughs) All right. We are to number 11. Number 11. And this is uh, talking about uh, uh, from uh, 1 verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So the the Dr. Bullhagen says this. Frustration and pain mark the person who tries to figure everything out for himself. A lot of heat is generated, but not much light. In a world that makes no sense because of sin, the search for sense will only lead to a deeper awareness of nonsense. The Hebrew noun translated as frustration likely connotes some anger. Such a feeling can stem from the perception of unfair treatment. Why does this have to happen to me? Bad things do not happen only to other people. Only personal experience teaches us what frustration and pain are. The pain of life is twofold. The harsh stimulus and the tortured response are both painful, and one may perpetuate the other. Contrast this frustration and pain with its opposite. The peace of a child of God. He sleeps like a baby in the sure faith that God knows what happens to the tiniest sparrow. He lives with one problem at a time. He cannot even pretend to analyze the past or predict the future. In the midst of tears, he knows that everything will work out for good and that the issue of all things will be happy indeed. Easter is a salve that soothes every hurt because the resurrection of Jesus it guarantees the same for all in Christ. In a way, the ignorant ignorance is bliss when one takes into account the depth of sin. Such a comment may tear the heart out of human pride, but that is good. Pride calls the statement patronizing. Faith calls it grace. Pride hates treated like a, being treated like a child. Faith relishes being a child of God. This gets to the very heart of Ecclesiastes. Picture for the moment the following scene. You approach an eminent theologian with a deep, penetrating question. The theologian's response? Don't trouble yourself with such a hard question. I have the wisdom to answer it, but you couldn't handle the answer. Why don't you just go and have something to eat and enjoy yourself? That's what I would like you to do. Don't worry. Leave the difficult things for me. Anyone will be totally offended by that kind of treatment. Frustration could boil over into a war of words and even a fistfight. And yet this is precisely God's message in Ecclesiastes. Any reader of this book should consider himself patronized with a capital P by the Father in heaven. In faith, 
He will love every minute of it. That's super awesome. I just have one little quibble with him. Uh Uh-oh. Sleep like a baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's, 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 that's it. Because I guess, you know, as, as the, the preacher says, knowledge increaseth sorrow. And, uh, I know that babies don't sleep that well. (laughs) Otherwise the rest of that is, is gold. I tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. He has a a great way of putting and explaining the, the words of Solomon. To me, it almost sounds like he words it in such a way as though you can almost imagine Solomon saying those words. Well, and where it really strikes me is um, I watched the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and mm-hmm. for uh, Victor Frankenstein's funeral, uh, that is the reading mm-hmm. for um, when they're about to um, bury him, you know. Um, so that knowledge increases sorrow, which is awesome. And and the, and the fact that uh, what I like is, is the fact that I, I tried to pick things that were somewhat timely, too. Right. And how everyone feels somewhat patronized, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and everyone is taking offense. Well, in faith, you, you take those things as good. Right. Number 10. All right. The next section for we are on number 10 uh, is from uh, Ecclesiastes 3.15. All right. And Vicar is down. Uh, he left because... He's not, you know, he doesn't care about wisdom. So well, actually, I, I will be, I will be taking over for he, him. He actually is. Uh, he does uh, vespers over the phone. Oh, okay. So well, now I feel like a jerk. <laughs> so, all right. So three fifteen. That which is already has been, that which, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Is that three fifteen? Yeah. Um. Actually, I'm gonna go with uh, Bullhagen's. Uh, translation of it if i could which says whatever happens has already happened and whatever is to happen has already happened god seeks out what has been chased away all right so uh bullhagen says of this here and everywhere else in the book of ecclesiastes where is works righteousness it doesn't even come up for discussion people can't even begin to fix their current problems much less unpack and solve their ultimate problem by escaping hell and attaining heaven. A person who learns, who leans upon himself and his own understanding is attempting to defy the law of gravity. He will fall flat on his face. To apply the matter more directly, the confession of sins is not merely the mental exercise of sorting through one's life to single out islands of evil in a sea of activity that is good or at least neutral. The entirety of our lives and our being is stamped with the guilt of sin. But in Christ it is all washed away, absolved forever. And the baptized child of God is an heir of all the good God has promised. Right confession always involves the renunciation of all one's works and the reception of God's gracious gift of forgiveness now and forever. An honest reading of Ecclesiastes will inevitably and always lead to this conclusion. Stripped of all his inner resources, the reader will end up confessing in unison with Solomon, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the all of man. If the message of Ecclesiastes is taken seriously, there is no better place to be. So, yeah, it's great. I I like his translation better. 
Do you? Yeah. It's a lot more visceral. Right. It hits you harder. Right. Well, um, I think we're going to break this up into to maybe three parts. Right. So, cause awesome. Because I, 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 uh, I'm enjoying this, and there's a lot to get through, and I don't want to shortchange. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. How do you, yeah. I mean, just his commentary is worth, honestly, guys, go buy the commentary. You should, because there's so much there. And and uh, it, and if you notice too, it, it's you, you don't be a, a nervous about the scholarly aspect of it, right? Because you know you understood what I read to you, absolutely. You know the listener, you understood what I read to you. So, uh, so and I, and by the way, he already got paid. I'm not. We're not getting royalties from it. So I was gonna say, Doctor Bullhagen, you owe us royalties. <laughs> well, and you know, if you want to send royalties to Doctor Bullhagen, you know, you can definitely do that. I'm sure. So you know. Because I that that is one thing is that I I wish there were more royalties for these guys, yeah. who dedicate themselves uh, to the you know the betterment of the church and who write these wonderful things for us to read for generations. Right. Um. That I just how how God, sorry. Yeah. No. I, I. Yeah. What were we gonna say? How How long was he working on that? Um. It, it took took quite a while. Um, it was like off and on for like twenty years, right? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it was quite that long, but there's a long process, and there were times where he had to kind of step away to do other things. Um, so, and Be- and because uh, because these guys don't get really regular sabbaticals to work on this stuff, you know, and they're working on this stuff while they're teaching classes, and and, and editors change, and you know, you know, it just takes it just takes quite a while to because. You know, he could have, he had it done for a while, but then certain changes wanted to be made and certain formats wanted to be, it's just a, it's a, a big thing. But. You know, and it's a lot of headache. Right. And, you know, but it's a labor of love and that's the thing. So, you know, there are a lot of guys who work really hard for, for the benefit, for, not for their own sake, but for the benefit of the church. Right. Because I can guarantee that the time he put into this book uh, was n- in no way repaid in what he got from CPH. Right. So, you know. So, yeah, and uh, we'll, I, I just thought that this would be a good way, you know, like we've talked about, it's an interesting time with the COVID and the riots and all the anger and mm-hmm. and everyone. That let's let's t- t- take a step back and see, okay, this is really nothing new. Nothing has changed. So, all right, that brings us to... Uh, uh, Pastor pa- Peace Theater. Peter, play the intro. So, uh, welcome to Pastor's Peace Theater with Pastor Berg. All right, so we are moving on to uh, another section, and this section is going to be a little bit longer, but it's going to be fun because it's going to get into litur- like into liturgy. Okay. Okay. And uh, I, I just, uh, the last line of this is so amazing. So, I mean, it... <laughs> You're excited. Yeah, it punches people you in the an, face. You had an extra spring in your step when you walked into the so, Thoughts and Tasting studio. I didn't know if it was the absinthe or if it was uh, your reading. but we'll... uh, It's a combination. So. All right. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, here we go. The homely garlic, like the king's daughter, her dove eyes hid within her locks, is all glorious within. There is beauty in the pearl, the tear wept by the cold clam as it lay buried in the cove of sand under the sea of salt. 
There is beauty in the snowflake, each fashioned after its own artistic design, distinct from one another. There is beauty in the lofty pine as it towers high above the shapely cedars. There is beauty in the star-sprinkled skies above. As we mortals stand and gaze upward into infinite space, grand in the sight of all, we clumsily crush underfoot the tiny wonders of the earth. There is a song in every blade. It belongs to and blends into the grand symphony of God's creation. Old Eli put his heavy official foot on such a bashful bleeding blade, came forth a tiny song which sweetened all the world, the like of which his fattened form could ne'er compose nor comprehend. The garlic's graceful lines are simplicity itself. The various cloves are snugly fit to one another, hand-carved, carefully groomed, and caliper measured by the one and only craftsman. Yet all the brownies put together, we, the little church carpenters with print and plain, with sander and shaper, with the finest lathe of Lutheran learning, can never make things fit right. The glue will give, the veneer will warp. We have an abundant supply of veneer. But the church grows of itself, and God is the artist. The cloves are gothic, arched and buttressed from within, styled and beveled as though to grace a rounded Quonset church. In close conclave, they face each other slightly bowed in silent prayer. One common root they have on which to feed, one slender stem through which they upward strive in common hope, in earnest expectation, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. St. Paul in Ephesians and Colossians employs a more dignified figure in characterizing the una sancta, the human body in which all the members are knit together by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered, holding on to the head, even to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and thus increase with the increase of God, edifying itself in love, until it grows up in him in all things into a perfect body, the object of God's eternal purpose, the crown of his labors in the final restoration of all things. In contrast to the apostle's figure of speech, we have cho chosen the garlic bulb as our medium of translation and make no apology for it. For we confess to this every Sunday, I am a lost and condemned sinner. Garlic is vile, and I will be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. This is uh, David from 2 Samuel chapter 6. Is it not high time our haughty and high-minded Lutheran church, together with all of us, came down to earth, ere God in his wrath, by an unprecedented calamity, put us where we fit, into the dust? The St. James Society, for instance, with everything it represents and fosters, is a plant of a much more elegant species. How far its members have extended themselves in dolling up the priestery. Our fathers were plain people. Whether they have introduced the manichae, the tibiale, the, the sandali, the podum rectum, the pallium, the pileus, the mitre, the tiara, we know not. Preachers fall for these frills and wear their collars and vests hind before after they are all buttoned up minus a message and anxious to place crutches under the arms of the feeble and aged Holy Ghost. These men do not relish the taste of the garlic gospel. It does not produce fast enough. Bombast and buffoonery in the church like pyoria is not a specific disease but a manifestation of degradation. On New Year's Day, the festival of circumcision, one of their number, having read the short gospel, pointed to his scarlet stole, if that is what it is called, introducing the novel vesture to his defenseless country congregation, and explained the reason he wore the scarlet color on this particular day was in memory of the circumcision of the Christ child, in memory of the first drop of blood it shed. 
had he instead but asked the congregation where in the world he could find the table of duties concerning bishops, pastors, and preachers in the catechism, and whether there might not be a Daniel among his audience to decipher the code. Once upon a time we were offended by the antics of Billy Sunday. He preached in shirt sleeves. He swung his chair about his head like a baseball bat to punctuate his stern message. His speech at times was a little vulgar, but he was genuine, we believe, though shy of dignity. And that's much more than we can say of the high church crowd within our circles. Supposing an aged and toothless pillar of the country congregation in question had approached the Lord's table dressed in the garb of a circus clown and then had gone on to explain, the reason I am wearing this is to proclaim that I am a silly fool in the arena of Christian combat and contest. Before the Lord, his holy angels, before the spirits of just men made perfect, before the general assembly and church of the firstborn, would that... <clears throat> on his part, be more vulgar exhibitionism and more offending to the fine sensibilities of faith than this caricature of a liturgist. This unhappy pastor, when in civilian clothes and under the impress of his human heathen nature, is credited with a lot of common sense. Therefore, such holy goo are as becoming to him as a lady's hat on a cow's head. <laughs> wow, he was fired up. So... <laughs> so yeah. So so uh talk about that, Berg. Well, you know, I think he uh, he's talking about he he mentions two things, right? Right. Two two main points that he's kind of chiming up against, right? One is is um he mentions Billy Sun Sunday who was more of a I don't know much about him, but he was, you know, like a revival preacher. Yeah. And then also then he he kind of goes after those who who push the high church above all thing other things. Is that right? His whole point in this is that um, the Christian faith uh, it is like garlic. It is a simple thing. There's an elegance and there's a simplicity to it. Um, his point is that when we use the liturgy as a litmus test for orthodoxy, uh, we're going to fail. Just because somebody does the outward things of what we like, you know, wearing um, chasubles or whatever, um, that that means that they're orthodox, uh, that is that is definitely not it. Mm -hmm. um, we cannot, and I think that's the thing he talks about, right? That he is, you know, these guys are vested hind to four minus the message. Right. Right? That the externals are not going to prop up the Holy Ghost. Right. But it is um, because that, that ends up being formalism. Right. Right. And so that's the thing. Before we do all of these uh, liturgical things, right, the first thing that a pastor should do before he does something liturgical uh, is he should teach his people the catechism. Right. He should teach his people true doctrine. Right. Um, because, you know, if... Uh, if I if I might say I, you know, a little behind the collar here, is uh, is when when you go to seminary, um, you 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 kind of are in, and Vicar's not here, so maybe he'll have comments on this next time. Um, I can say I for me it was obviously a long time ago. I'm over twenty years now. I graduated in ninety eight. So, um, and so uh, but one thing I noticed is, is um, people felt really strongly on the whole liturgical worship scale. 
and you know, I went to the same seminary, you know, and uh, that that is a big thing. That is a huge push. And 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 uh, and 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 uh, as someone who appreciates and loves the liturgy, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good. You know, it's a good thing to have those discussions. But at the same time, one thing I kind of noticed, and maybe you noticed this as I mentioned this, is generally how they viewed these things very, very often was something that was matched to their personality. Mm-hmm. So so if someone was kind of a naturally more f- a formal person, right? they were drawn to the liturgy, and then they can't understand why other people don't have the same intense love of the formalism that they had. And on the other hand, people who are much less formal, just in their general personality, had trouble understanding that side of it. Like, I don't understand why that's so important to you. Right. And and we, and we they, on the other hand, uh, would bemoan that fact and think that they should be more like the other one. And, and what, I, what, I, what I noticed is, is some of that really was personality driven to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Not, not that saying certainly all around that we learn and we grow and we grow, ha- have a deeper appreciation for these things. But that should say something, though, as we approach behind the collar, as we approach those who, um, as pastors, to people who come from a whole host of different personalities, do we f- force them to love the same things that I love in my own personality? And I know, I know, I'm probably stepping on a lot of toes here, and and, but are you going to speak the 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 heart going to be the garlic gospel before right. anything else? And and bear in mind, I'm saying this as someone who who uses a liturgy, right. you know, who loves the liturgy. But but I did, am I speaking something that you no, kind of I, understand? Yeah, I think, you're abs- I think you're hitting the nail on the head because I think this should be reading as an antidote against uh, the, the big problem of formalism, that just because you're doing the liturgy means that you're orthodox. Right. Just because you're wearing a collar means you're orthodox. And... You and I, we wear collars. We, you know, you know, but uh, we do the one-year lectionary. We do the liturgy from the book. You know, we do all these things. We do, and we love it. The thing is, is that um, it's <laughs> if it is just a personality thing, it's an outside thing, and people can express things, and like like he said about Billy Sunday, you know, yeah, sometimes it is vulgar. But that doesn't mean it's authentic. It's not authentic. I, I think a good a good example of this is is uh, if you go to to uh, Africa and go to a Lutheran worship service over there, mm-hmm. right? They'll use many of the same things of liturgy, but it's going to look vastly different. Right, and you know, and even if someone like you go to their house, and you know they invite you for like a an evening meal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd expect them to break out, you know, the nice stuff, right? But mm-hmm. if, you know, if they feed you it with uh, red solo cups and, and that sort of stuff, yeah, it may be a little vulgar, right? Mm-hmm. But they mean well. And that's the thing. That's what he's getting at. He's like, look, because at his point, when Paul Hensel is writing, all of the liturgical people were higher critics. They didn't actually believe what all the guys who wore collars in the 1970s were... We're seminexers. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and that's that's a big thing, you know. This is why liturgy is not a litmus test for orthodoxy. It's just not. That's a very, very interesting discussion. And I think maybe our our uh, listeners might have some comments on that too. So Right, and I, I hope you guys do. I mean, because that's the thing. We're not... We love the liturgy. I'll, I'll give you some some examples. I think every young pastor or new pastor, okay, has struggles with this at some point, okay? Mm-hmm. Is they wonder, why don't the people I serve, why don't they love the same things I love? Right. And and uh, on the one hand, certainly part of that is of faith is going back to the catechism, right? <laughs> loving the sacraments, loving the word, baptism, the Lord's prayer, what we're taught in the creed. But some of the externals, you know, it, sometimes it gets across of, you know, we want to change people's tastes rather than looking at what is really essential at the heart of what we're doing. Right. And like when you're a pastor going into a new place, you know, do you really want to spend a lot of time? I mean, there's a lot we can put up with externally. Mm-hmm. There really is. Um, there's a lot of hymns I don't like, you know, um, because I don't think they, they teach that well, but let's, let's get to the, let's get to the bottom of it. Right. Because if we change their faith, right. Then if, if we make them more Lutheran, then there are things that they're just going to naturally love better. Right. I mean, that, that is just, you know, don't spend time swatting away at the weeds, but get to the root of the problem. Right. Because... The thing is, you're not going to be there forever. And if you're not going to be there forever and you don't get to the root of the problem, that weed is just going to grow right back because they don't know any better. Right. And and uh, so, yeah, very, very good discussion. Good reading. Um, and uh, and so uh, you got one more section or, or is that? Ha, ah, we got. Okay. We got a lot. So. All right. So, yeah, I, I, like, I like how... Um, how our the podcast is continuing changing and morphing and finding new areas and mm-hmm. and so yeah that's 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 good so um, our time is running short now. I thought you'd like the lady's hat on a cow's head. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a that image is really, and that's what makes him just such a good preacher because that's what he's doing. Even though this is an essay, like he's a, just a great preacher. Right, you know? right, and and uh, and the fact that uh, he's preaching to 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 the laity and to pastors. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, yeah, I think this is a, a great place to uh, to uh, end the show. Um, we will continue this next time. And if you guys want to send in questions, right, go rewind all the way back to the beginning when Vicar talked about all those different yeah. things. And uh, please share the show if you know someone who might be interested in some of these discussions, please. please and if you're mad about, you know, our supposed attack on liturgy, which it wasn't an attack on liturgy, please write in. (laughs) We'll deal with it. It's great. So Yeah, I I think it's always good, unlike what we're seeing all over us, if if it's a matter of being offended or if it's a matter of just trying to have an honest discussion. Right. I mean, that's what we've said all along about the show, is we wanted to be able to, to talk about these things and enjoy it, and have mm-hmm. a nice discussion and, and say, hey, it's kind of fun talking about these things. So anyways, all right.
Well, uh, um, thank you for listening. And uh, I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, may your cows... Wear nice lady hats. <laughs> Is that what Vicker sounds like to you? <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.